live or die? That was the question Heather was asked as a man she didn't know pressed a Ruger 9mm pistol into her side. Live or die. Welcome to the Brothers in Crime podcast. We are brothers. We talk about true crime. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And you shouldn't either. 911, where is your emergency? Um, there's a lady in the uh, alley here. She's saying that uh, some guy tried to rape her and she had to send herself and she saw him. She's in the kitchen. He pulled a gun on her. Was she able to injure him in any way? Yes, yeah, she shot him. She says he's on the kitchen floor, in her kitchen floor. Oh. Okay. Um. Heather's from Charleston, West Virginia, and has lived there her entire life. Charleston is the state capital of West Virginia, and it's located in the southwestern part of the state in the heart of Appalachia. In 2015, Charleston's population dipped to just under 50,000 people. Although it is the most populated city in West Virginia, it's the 40th most populated state capital and the 828th most populated city in the United States. Hey, this ain't a geography podcast there, Mr. Feeney. All right, all right. I'm just trying to set the scene. Uh, there isn't a ton of information about Heather out there, but various sources have reported that after high school, she briefly attended community college. Like many other young people, she didn't really know what she wanted to do. She considered options, took some courses, but didn't receive any degrees or certifications. The only thing she really took away from community college was a student loan, and that loan had kept her from going back. In 2016, Heather said that even though her student loan was only $1,200, that it was in default. And after that, Heather spent some time working as a waitress. She was a head cook for a while. Her last waitressing job was about a year before the incident. She was working at a pizza hut. After living on her own for a bit, she hit some hard times and moved back in with her mom. While living with her mom again, she adopted a small dog named Fancy. Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down. Oh, you, you could always moonlight. You got, you got options there, Bob. Uh, as it would turn out, Fancy did not let Heather down. After living with her mom again for a while, Heather moved out and into an area known as the Flats. She got to know the landlord after doing some work, fixing up the walls, redoing floors, uh, to help a friend who was behind on the rent. Now, Heather said that her dad did that kind of work, handyman type stuff, drywall, painting, and so Heather learned it and she kind of got into it too a little bit. And for a time, she helped rebuild houses, getting them ready for, for HUD. Like so many other West Virginians, Heather strikes me as a a hard worker, a proud person, enterprising, and isn't afraid of a challenge. I get the vibe that she does what it takes to survive. And for a period of time, Heather did sex work to survive. She used money she made from working as an escort to support herself and to help out her mom and friends. But it's clear from interviews she's done that this wasn't a line of work that Heather was excited about or that she really wanted to be doing. In one interview, Heather said, I mean, the escort stuff is not for me. I was miserable. If all else failed, I would answer the phone. I love this chick. She's very industrious, and yes, she's doing whatever it takes. For anybody that doesn't know, most of West Virginia, particularly Southern West Virginia, there are no options. It's not known for anything other than decaying poverty and high, high drug use. So, you know, she's doing what she's got to do to keep food on the table, and I mean, she resorted to the oldest profession, and it doesn't sound like that was a fun thing for her. Just you, you run out of options. What are you going to do? Yeah, unfortunately, it's all too common story that female sex workers are targeted by male serial killers. From Jack the Ripper to the Long Island serial killer and too many to name in between, this is a consistent, well-documented problem. Yeah, and part of the problem is and has been for many years, and I think it's gotten somewhat better in more recent times as the world becomes a little more understanding, but there's always been sort of a stigma about sex workers that go missing or turn up dead that there just isn't a huge outcry from the community, the, the world, to 
find a resolution. So maybe their cases aren't the highest priority. I know a lot of detectives and police officers do see every victim as a human being, as they should. But, you know, there just isn't that outcry. If if the, the little girl gets abducted from church, well, everybody's on that, as they should be. But when when a prostitute doesn't return from an appointment, it's not necessarily the same kind of thing. Yeah, that's fair. And some of it, too, is just the logistics of it, right? Like, you know, with, with the little girl at church analogy, there's uh, people at the church that realize she's missing and there's family members and whatever with the sex workers. Oftentimes, you know, if the serial killer is a is a John, well, he's not going to report her missing and he's the only one that knows where she's supposed to be at that point. And maybe their housing arrangement is, you know, they're staying with friends or they're kind of couch surfing or or they're in a place where the landlord doesn't really care about his tenants at all, regardless of what they do. Right. Or they're living in a motel where the landlord or innkeeper doesn't want to know what's going on in those rooms. You're right. right. It's a high risk lifestyle. And again, that's not to be shaming the sex workers of the world, but there are risks associated with that. And you're absolutely right. By virtue of their occupation, they put themselves around a bunch of unknown at best characters that aren't easy to track down. The case we're talking about today is different from those cases, though. Heather really flipped the script. In July of 2015, Heather was occasionally doing work as an escort, using an ad on the website Backpage to advertise her services. A man named Neil Falls would use a computer at the public library in Charleston, not that far from Heather's home, to access Backpage and find Heather's ad. Now, look, I don't have any personal experience with this Backpage thing. Sure. But I understand that it's uh, sort of the triple X version of Craigslist. Craigslist had to sort of crack down on certain categories <laughs> uh, of listings. And so I guess Backpage is maybe the one that's left for people to operate off of to find uh, affection for an hour or two. There you go. <laughs> well, old Neil was on Backpage of the Charleston Public Library, as so many uh, people use those public libraries. And it was something about Heather's ad just must have caught his eye. For some reason, he chose her. He contacted Heather to set up an appointment. And when Falls called Heather, she didn't want to pick up the phone. She said this. But the reality was she needed the money. She was trying to make ends meet, and she helped to support the others in her life that she cared about. So she answered the phone. Usually, Heather had friends that would be around the house when she had a job from Backpage lined up. But on July 18th, 2015, it just so happened that one of those friends had run to the store for something, and the other went looking for Fancy because she'd gotten out of the house and was missing. Falls called Heather from a phone with a local area code. He was using a brand new track phone, most likely a burner phone he'd just picked up. Bob, you want to explain what a burner phone is in case anybody doesn't know? You've got a couple. Well, I'm sure that all of our upright citizen listeners have no idea what a burner phone is, but that's really just a disposable phone. So you get a a cell phone that you're not going in and giving your name and social security number and driver's license to the phone company. Instead, you're picking up one off a shelf in a convenience store or department store that you can hop on somewhere, give some BS name to, have a number, have some minutes on it, the way track phones work, prepaid phones work. And then you can ditch that phone either whenever your unsavory deeds are done or when you don't want to be associated with it anymore. You just toss that in a dumpster and then makes it a lot harder, not impossible. Keep that in mind, potentially future criminals law can figure it out but makes it a little harder to figure out who was working from that phone Hmm. now heather talked with falls on his burner giving him directions to her home guiding him all the way to her house over the telephone because he had so much trouble finding it even at one point became annoyed by falls neediness in finding her place he eventually made it though arriving at heather's place around 3 p.m 
Her friends, who typically served as lookouts to make sure she was safe, still weren't around. And he went inside, immediately looked around her small house, and asked Heather if anybody else was there. As soon as she told him they were alone, he walked directly to her and stuck a small 9mm pistol in her side. And that's when he said, Live or die. Before Heather knew what was really going on, he started strangling her with the hand that wasn't pointing a gun at her. And he strangled me. Um, he just wouldn't let me get any air. Heather said she'd never been choked like that before, despite surviving a lot of physical abuse. She felt like this was not the first time Falls controlled a woman this way. She believes he had done this for a long time and that he knew exactly how to control her. Yeah, you cut off somebody's uh, ability to breathe and you've got their attention. I think I talked about this quite a bit in our last episode about the uh, asphyxiation, and that sucks. Realizing this was a life-or-death situation, she managed to knock Falls off of her. They were in her kitchen, and he landed on his back when she shoved him. Still, he was able to maintain his grip on her throat. He wasn't letting go. And then something just snapped in Heather. Call it fight or flight, the internal drive to survive or whatever. Heather decided she was not going to go out without a fight. She started screaming. She began to fight him even harder. She realized that if he was going to just shoot her, he would have already done it. There was a reason he hadn't shot her yet. Damn, that's impressive. She figured out that quickly that like in that moment when she's trying to just, you know, can't breathe and that's scary as hell. For her to make that mental calculation there and say, you know what, if he was going to shoot me, he would have already done it. So what can we do here? Mm. She's, she's a smart cookie. I'm telling you, I like this girl. Yeah, for sure. She kicked it up at this point, using her fingernails to claw at his eyes. She punched him. I don't know why. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, I know this fact, and it still got me. He just lost there. Yeah. Uh, she realized he didn't have any teeth. He was gumming it. <laughs> yeah, and so as she escalated her defense, he jumped on her again, realizing he had to ratchet it up, too. He lands on her chest, and they're on her kitchen floor. Falls told her to get up and be quiet. Heather begged him to let her catch her breath because now he's, you know, he's basically kind of sitting on her and he's not letting up. So they kept struggling. Heather was like fighting for her life while this dirt bag was looking to do unimaginable things to her if he could get her to comply. But she was determined not to let this bag of shit take what he wanted, whatever that was. That's when Heather noticed a small metal rake she kept in the house. She used it to clean up after Fancy in the yard. Yes, this is Fancy's poop rake. And so I grabbed my rake. She was able to grab it and use it against Falls, bending one of the rake's metal teeth from the force of hitting him with it. Hot damn, my girl. Falls had to be stunned at this point. I mean, he's just been hitting with this metal rake. Heather described him as short, stout, and strong. Heather appears to be you know, average size for a lady, and, and it seems that Falls expected to be able to control her by just scaring her into submission with the gun and then controlling her with his strength and, and choking her. He didn't anticipate Heather's courage or her toughness. Falls focused on disarming Heather. He, he wanted to get this rake. They were by her kitchen table, and he moved quickly to grab the rake from her hand and lifted himself off the table. In this moment, still stunned from this rake attack, Falls was thrown off a bit. He was distracted just enough. Heather finally had a second, a second to breathe, a second to think, and then she saw something incredible. In his hurry to take the rake from Heather, Falls had laid his gun on her kitchen table. It was just laying there. As quickly as she realized the gun was there, Heather reacted. And when he laid the gun down to get the rake out of my hands, I, I shot him. I just grabbed the gun and shot behind me. She didn't plan, she didn't contemplate, she didn't question. She just reacted. She picked up that 9mm pistol with Falls positioned behind her and then pointed the gun behind her over her shoulder and squeezed the trigger. The bullet ripped through Falls' head 
And in a moment, the woman who did sex work on the side, who was being attacked and victimized because she was vulnerable and because Falls thought he could get away with it, well, she turned the tables and killed a man who many believe was a serial killer. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so he's a, he's a bag of shit, for sure. He's trying to do nasty things to this girl and the old gum-faced moron in there with the sex worker. But you haven't said anything about this dude being a serial killer. Did we miss part of this story here? No, 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 I'm getting there. So although I couldn't find any source that confirms Neil Falls ever actually killed anybody, investigators in Charleston were stunned by what they discovered when they got to Heather's house. After she shot Falls, Heather ran outside and then to a neighbor's house, and she asked her neighbor to call 911. Corporal Stephen Webb was the first officer to arrive on scene. In his report, he described Heather as visibly shaken white female who had blood on her arms, was hysterical and crying. Heather told Corporal Webb that the man who attacked her was inside her house. When Webb tried to make entry, Falls' body was um, against the other side of the door. Incredibly, Falls' belt had actually gotten hooked on the door's handle, and his body was up against the door, kind of half slumped over with his belt. Uh, nice. You picturing what I'm, what I'm putting down? What a great dignified way for that dirtbag to die in. Yeah. As detectives processed the scene at Heather's house, it quickly became clear to the investigators that Falls was not a run-of-the-mill attacker. Detectives found four sets of handcuffs in his pants pockets on him. One of the investigators said he'd never seen anything like that in 18 years as a detective. Bob, have you ever carried um, four, four sets of handcuffs for an outing? I, I carry a handcuff key because you never know when you're going to beat your friends, but uh, I've never carried handcuffs anywhere. I love the I got my rake part. Mm-hmm. And, and then the fact that she shoots him over her head and shoulder behind and hits this guy with a kill shot in the head. It's amazing. So, you know, th- there's when I say there's not a lot of options and a lot not a lot going on in West Virginia, I mean that in career prospects only. Because this is the kind of people, uh, tough and smart. Yeah, it's like a scene out of John Wick. I mean, that's that's what I imagine, honestly. Like, she she just... I mean, this girl is a get-shit-done kind of gal. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Now, you asked where the serial killer notion came from. Well, we're there. This really popped off when police searched Fall's car. Now, four handcuffs on his person, that's obviously pretty strange, but maybe not all the way to the serial killer level. Now, his car, a gold Subaru, was parked right outside Heather's house. Now, I'll start with the more normal items they recovered. They found a uh, King James Compact Reference Bible. What, was he using that to level up a table or something? He wasn't reading it, obviously. Yeah, one has to wonder, that's for sure. They also found a road atlas, a crown royal bag containing ten white dice, and a half dozen empty Subway sandwich bags. Oh, he's friends with Jared. Now, this is where it gets really weird. According to detectives, they recovered several axes, a shovel, bulletproof vest, numerous handcuff keys, which apparently you carry one, a container of bleach, a lot of trash bags, various knives, box cutters, and a sledgehammer. Yeah, when you have plastic and bleach, (laughs) wow. Well, I'm not done yet. There was also a duffel bag containing five identical sets of clothes. Can you you even guess what this guy liked to wear? I couldn't even begin. Black t-shirts and black matching cargo pants. Well, I mean, Johnny Cash wore all black. Yeah, well, the duffel also contained a machete, packing tape, and a black blanket. Oh, oh. And last, but certainly not least, Falls had a Rubbermaid tub big enough to easily fit a woman, say, Heather's size, inside of it. Oh, damn. One of Kanawha County's APAs, that's Assistant Prosecuting Attorneys, told reporters that Falls clearly had plans to store something or carry something away from that apartment regarding this extra-large storage bin. Now, if you aren't sufficiently creeped out by this guy's kill kit, coupled with his four sets of handcuffs and 9mm pistol, 
There was one more thing they found in his car. If it doesn't make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, then I'm not sure what will. On the driver's side floorboard of his car, investigators found a computer pass from the Kanawha County Public Library. This is the one in Charleston where he had found Heather's back page at. The library was not far away in the old federal courthouse building there in Charleston. On the back of this pass, printed in what looked like grade school-style pencil lettering, were six names. Alyssa, Armani, Trinity, Sarah, Allie, and Sylvia, next to their ages and phone numbers. One of the detectives has said the fact that he was 45 years old and carrying tools like that and was committing a crime that was so organized and so violent, it's unlikely that this was his first violent crime. Yeah, it doesn't sound like his first rodeo and definitely wasn't going to be his last. And the investigators, and I think pretty much everybody in the whole free world believes that when she killed this bitch, she definitely saved other people from being found in this Rubbermaid bin or what have you. Mm. Although there isn't a lot of information available about Falls, we know that he was born on September 24, 1969 in Eugene, Oregon. He was one of nine siblings and his family apparently struggled financially. Falls did not have a criminal record. He moved to Kansas in 92 for a few years living with his father, but later would return to Oregon in 95 after his father died. There he started working as, are you ready for it? Yeah. A security guard. He would continue in this line of work, moving to Henderson, Nevada, and working as a security guard at the Hoover Dam until 2008. You care to guess how that gig came to an end? Well, I mean, it sounds like a damn good gig to me. And if he had this damn gig, he was probably proud of it. And uh, I don't know, maybe he got a damn promotion to the damn security supervisor. Mm, I mean, that could have happened, but it turned out in this case that... uh, He was forced to quit because he was sexually harassing a damn coworker. One of the things that I find really interesting about this is the outpouring of people that knew this scum. It was not uh, what you normally see on the news of, oh, he was a nice guy, kept to himself, never would have suspected. Like everybody that knew that dude was like, shit, we figured that's what he was doing. Total scumbag. Yeah, I mean, you have how many people saying he's like torturing animals in the desert and disappearing and keeping a black book with people's names in it he doesn't like. I feel like all the writing was on the wall. And thanks to the longevity of the internet, we've got some Facebook posts former acquaintances and coworkers have made after learning what happened to Falls in Charleston. Bob, you want to read some of those for the folks listening near and far? Shout out to our listeners in Australia, by the way. We appreciate you guys. Yeah, and we've found this. Do we know how we found this? These on, Facebook posts? It's on the internet. Yeah, no, I there was, but there was someone that, uh, this is from a Facebook group that someone started trying to learn about this guy I and think, his history. I think that the, the webpage where we found these is actually a Sword and Scales webpage posted these. Yes. But I don't know what face group they come from. So, but if you want to shout out Sword and Scale, that's, that's where it came from. Right. I believe it was that Sword and Scale that had mentioned on there that they created this group to try and learn more about this case and this person. And I'll have that. Uh, and they page. shared these. Yeah, I'll have that page linked up in the show notes as well. I just don't want to use content and not give credit where credit's due. Oh, you don't want to be one of those people? No, definitely not. I, I can I can appreciate that. So you want to read some of these or what? Yeah, sure. So these are from former co-workers and people that knew him. Let's see. Little was damn near psychopathic about women back then. Contemptuous and extremely prejudiced. I thought someone had killed the by now. Oh, well, better late than never. This just makes all the creepy stuff he would do a million percent more in hindsight. The story goes he spent a long time earning the trust of this deer, trying to get it to eat from his hand. Eventually, it started to trust him and would eat right from his hand. And one day, Neil just stabbed it in its neck and killed it. Mm. What a... I mean, I know how you feel about animals. Right? That's tough. 
I remember he had a black book with the names of people who did him wrong written in it. Blank and I were both in it. Don't have to worry about that now, haha. Uh -huh. Looks like they believe he was a serial killer. I called that one 10 years ago. We all used to make jokes saying he was killing hookers on his days off. Shit, we weren't joking. I wonder if he killed any women when he took his sex trip to the Philippines. He wasn't shy about telling people he was going there just for hookers. When you piss him off, he would pull out the little black notebook in front of him and start writing in it and then put it away and just stare. He was here for a while. I bet you he dumped a few in the desert between the Arizona checkpoint and Kingman. He used to come in like three hours early acting weird like he always does. Sign in at Nevada, then drive right past Arizona checkpoint and come back three hours later ready for work and wouldn't say a word or answer questions on where he was or what he was doing. What a creep. Yeah, between his termination as a security guard at the Hoover Dam and his death, Falls seemed to be everywhere and nowhere. Authorities have said that Falls was stopped, interviewed, or investigated by police in at least 20 states. There's body cam footage of him uh, during a stop in Ohio just a couple weeks before he attacked Heather. Falls also has some known history with sex workers. When he lived in Oregon, he was fired for sending threatening texts to a guest who was believed to have been a sex worker. Although Falls didn't last very long in West Virginia, investigators learned that he had approached and engaged sex workers on the street in the weeks prior to attacking Heather. Fortunately for these women, uh, they were alarmed, noticing red flags and distancing themselves from Falls. One of the Charleston investigators noted that these women deal with a lot of weird people, yet they said Falls really stood out to them. They were frightened by his behavior. Largely the customer base for sex workers or people that are on the fringe maybe of understanding right and wrong we'll just say that and keep it kind but it can definitely make it easier for a serial killer who's going to prey on that type of a victim because it's not like if the guy's really creepy or even abusive or anything who can they tell yeah as the news of fall's death broke nationally law enforcement agencies with a backlog of cold cases involving sex workers and possibly serial killers came calling long island las vegas niagara falls you know how to say that one? I think it's Chillicothe, Ohio. Uh, in total, Fall's DNA was sent to nine states, including Texas, Nevada, Arizona, and Louisiana. Although many believe Falls had attacked and murdered other women, to date, we were unable to find any jurisdiction that has conclusively linked Falls to other crimes. Heather went back home after investigators interviewed and photographed her and the hospital checked her out. Her kitchen was the same as when she ran out of her house. The police had taken Falls and his belongings, his phone, wallet, a car key, and the single shell casing expelled from his gun. But all of his blood remained. That unmistakable, coppery smell filled her small home. The scene of a horrific and terrifying attack was largely unchanged, and Heather had to clean it up herself. The morning after, Heather put an end to whatever evil Neil Falls was up to. She was hurting, physically. Her back was broken. Her shoulder dislocated. She had bruises around her neck from how hard she'd been choked. And if that wasn't already enough, her trusted companion, Fancy, her little dog, was still missing. At 5.30 in the morning, she'd set Fancy's food dish outside, the same door where a fall's lifeless body hanged by his belt. She called and called, but nothing. Don't you tell me that sick son of a did something to that dog. If you do, I'm getting up and I'm leaving. Don't you say it. 
Later that day, Heather went looking for Fancy. As it turned out, a neighbor had found her and taken her in. Oh, good. Heather and Fancy were both happy. I tried really hard to play, but I couldn't do it. Uh, Heather and Fancy were both happy to be reunited. In this case, that small rake with the metal forks that Heather used to clean up Fancy's poo came in handy in a way nobody could have guessed. I guess you could say, instead of using the rake to take care of the dog shit, the dog rake was used to take care of the bag of shit. That you could. <laughs> I think she ought to have that thing brawn. <laughs> and, and I'm struck by the fact that learning more about how her injuries, I mean, the fact that she did this, you know, over the back blind head kill shot, she did it with a broken back and dislocated things and whatnot. Damn. Right. Could you say that Neil Falls was a serial killer? I, I'm not sure we have enough to say that, but it's absolutely clear that he was up to no good. Heather went through a lot, not only during the attack and having to live with knowing she killed somebody, which really bothers her. I'm sorry that I killed him. I didn't mean to kill him. I didn't want to kill no one. But also the media and various people's reactions to the news. People from all walks of life flooded Heather's world, some genuinely trying to help and others looking to capitalize on some opportunity based in sensationalism or to hitch their wagons to Heather's newfound and unwanted fame. Just like she felt during the attack, Heather just wanted a minute to breathe, to think through all of it, and to find her footing. Who could blame her? As I was working on this and researching this case, if I could think of a theme song for Heather, it would need to be modified a little bit, but I just thought of Hank Williams Jr.'s A Country Boy Can't Survive. Like, I mean, she is just, it's on another level. Like you said, broken back, dislocated shoulder. She's being choked to death and hits this guy with a rake and then shoots him in the face. It's uh. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, incredible. I'm absolutely impressed with this girl. Grab my rake and then how that whole thing went down. It, it, you're right. It is a movie scene that is completely unfreaking believable and bless her heart. I hope that at this point she has been rewarded for what she suffered through and she's, she's done the world a service. Lord only knows how many people she saved from, from this turd. Initially hearing the story about this woman as a sex worker and her friends kind of keep post at her house while she's doing what she does, that wouldn't have made me a huge Heather fan, really. But when you hear the full story of why she's doing what she's doing, she really is. It feels like she's at rock bottom. She's not doing it for funsies. You know, you think, oh, those people are different or whatever. It's kind of like we judge homeless people for being homeless and saying, oh, they're lazy or they just need to get a job or they must be alcoholics or druggies or whatever. I mean, you don't know. There are definitely people who have, through a series of circumstances, found themselves in horrible positions that they never expected to be in. And then the contribution she made to the world. And I, I hope that was the last last gig she had to do like that. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, part of the story that- Then know. again, if she did have to keep going, and again, I hope she didn't, leave that blood there. And the next guy that comes in, you just point and say, look, you try some shit with me. Here's what's going to happen. She pulls out the bronze rake. Right. Oh, oh man. I, Fancy to get rake. I had a thought and it's gone. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Now, the Brothers in Crime talking about other brothers in crime. Man charged with brothers shooting during family reunion at East Point Park. So we have one brother shoots another brother at a family reunion? Tell me you haven't wanted to... Rough family. Ha have, have words with somebody at a family reunion before. You'd have to attend them to... That's true, but my favorite thing about our family reunions is the directions that they always gave us to get there. Oh yes, take the exit between the big paint can and the whorehouse. 
we, that's not a joke. That's real. Those, those, were, those are the directions. And they work perfectly and, is the bad part. Yeah, that's the worst part is that they're still accurate to this day. But yeah, tensions flared and it turns out up there in the good old state of Michigan, a 48-year-old man, which it seems a little old. Right, you should be old <laughs> enough to know better by now. Yeah. Maybe you're just so old you don't care. <laughs> yeah, there's a question there. These brothers, they did not get along. He has been charged with attempted murder and several weapons offenses after shooting his brother at this reunion. Kevin Dion Jones of St. Clair Shores uh, has been arraigned. And yeah, it's not good. He's got just a list of charges here. I'm not even going to read them all. And it's all of the firearms charges, which there are many, carry a maximum penalty of five years in prison. But we've also got attempted murder and all that stuff. So the victim said that there was a... A discussion. The two were talking, and it turned into an argument. And the, the, his brother pulled out a gun and started firing at him, hitting him multiple times in the chest. But the content of the argument was not revealed. Yeah, which like I'm like, come on, that's what we all want to know. Yeah, what in the world are you arguing about that you done pissed your brother off so bad that he pulls out a gun and shoots you repeatedly in the chest? Yeah, I mean, is this like uh, which is better, Carolina style barbecue or Kansas City? I don't know. All right. Or I wonder too, was a woman involved? Right? Is there some action? See, get things flaring. I, I know that heats people up, but my motto on that is 99 problems. Hmm. Okay. Now, this is the second time that this gentleman has been accused of trying to kill someone. So, it's not his first rodeo. Wait, what was it his... Did he try and kill his brother before? I don't think so. I think this was just your garden variety stranger or acquaintance, maybe. He pleaded no contests in 2006 to attempted murder and felony firearm possession for an incident. And he actually was sentenced to nine years on that charge, the main charge, and two years on the felony firearm. So 11 years altogether. And he was released from state custody in 2018. And you might think, well, all right, so he was able to be good from 2018 until now. But you'd be wrong because he also served two years in prison following conviction by plea for drunk driving, carrying a concealed weapon, and possession of a firearm by a felon in 2020. And he was released on that offense May 25th. So this guy, this 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 fella, he spent some time in, in prison, so he's not exactly socially adjusted for the outside world, and a family reunion is kind of the woof. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to prison, but a family reunion sure feels like it's close enough to the same thing. I just, that's like the ultimate test of patience. I'm just wondering what, what leads you to believe you need to take a gun to the family reunion, I guess, in case your brother mouths off. I mean, you don't, I mean, I, I would take one if we went to the family reunion. <laughs> hey, thanks for hanging out with us on the Brothers in Crime podcast. Feedback and suggestions are always welcome. For links and resources related to this episode, please see the show notes or visit us at brothersincrimepodcast.com. We hope you'll save, subscribe, or bookmark us on your favorite podcast site and join us for the next episode.